0: This is RJ Rushdoony, Easy Chair number 413. July the 1st, 1998. This evening, the first subject we shall be discussing is one that uh, is perhaps the most frequently asked question of all. Over the years I've dealt with it in Sunday sermons and in easy chairs more than once, but not, I don't think, for perhaps ten years or so, so the subject is probably a fresh one to many of you. In particular, we had this one letter, and we get a number on this subject, from Susan Loefel in Nebraska. Uh, last year, she writes, World Magazine published a news story about one of the recent unprovoked mass murders that we read about so often in the news. The episode concerned a 14-year-old white boy who shot up a Christian prayer group, killing three and wounding five. The crime was premeditated. It turns out that the murderer had responded to an altar call at his church, so his pastor had publicly proclaimed that this boy was a Christian. The murderer also received instant forgiveness from the local Christians. Some of the survivors testified to guilt about having overlooked the murderer's pain for their own survival. There was an incident in Nebraska a few years ago where a homeschooled white teenage boy planned and executed the murder of his mother, and seriously wounded his sister. I recall reading an account of how the boy's father visited the youth in jail and hugged him and told him that he loved him still. As far as I can tell, the matricide has never expressed any kind of repentance. And, of course, earlier this year, a number of prominent evangelical Christians intervened on behalf of death row convert Carla Faye Tucker. This at a time when there seems to be a national uh, consensus in favor of the uh, death penalty. So, at any rate, she wants us to discuss the proper nature of Christian forgiveness. Well, the subject is an important one because perhaps no other... False belief has more warped Christianity in the past two centuries than this sentimental, humanistic belief in unlimited forgiveness without any repentance. It's a very, very common fact, and people become really upset if you tell them that uh, such forgiveness is anti-Christian, anti-biblical. I have known of cases where uh, criminals have invaded a church when a morning worship was going on, have robbed every person at gunpoint, and the minister has stood up and asked everyone to be sure their heart is full of forgiveness and to let the thieves know he forgives them. I have known of cases where murder is involved and the family of the murdered child or youth insists on extending forgiveness to the murderer, and so on and on. We're all familiar with examples of this kind of forgiveness, We don't stop to think how destructive it has been of Christianity. The Church has gone downhill as this humanistic uh, forgiveness doctrine has advanced, because, first of all, it is antinomian. It sets aside the law of God, because the law of God is very specific that sin must be judged, that there can be no forgiveness without repentance, that we are to forgive our brother 70 times 7 if there is true repentance. Forgiveness in the Bible means, as Dr. K. Skilder, one of the greatest Reformed theologians of this century pointed out, Charges dropped because satisfaction has been rendered. The word in the Bible, in the Old and New Testaments, is a juridical term, a very, very important fact. It means that if satisfaction is rendered, if there is a due restitution made, There has to be forgiveness. We cannot withhold it. Forgiveness does not depend on how we feel, on whether we are still angry or whether we've gotten over it. It depends on what God says. And this is why this humanistic doctrine is so evil and so deadly, because it takes away the supernatural the divine, the God-given aspect of our biblical faith and replaces it with a man-made doctrine of forgiveness. Tonight, with Douglas Murray, Mark Rashtuni, and Susan Burns here, I hope we'll have a lively discussion of this subject, which I feel very strongly about and... uh, It never ceases to anger me me when I encounter examples of this absurd kind of belief. I cannot begin to tell you how many times uh, men who are wife beaters or adulterers, of them it has been said they should be forgiven without any change of heart or behavior or women who are adulterers or are lawless in their behavior, that they should be forgiven without any repentance or change of life. Forgiveness presupposes repentance, restitution, and a change of direction, a change of life. And this is lacking now in the pulpit and in the popular uh, imagination. Would any of you like to lead off first?
1: Well, I have a question for you. I have done some research on, on this topic, and I was surprised to find on the Internet just tons and tons of listings of forgiveness groups. And it seems that one of the, and I'm sure this is because there's no justice in our society at this time, but people who have had a, a loved one murdered or a wife who has been wronged or a husband who has been wronged, They know they're not going to find any justice in any court system, and they feel the need to get on with their life. And much of the language that surrounds these issues is the language of forgiveness. They feel they have to forgive this person, even if the person doesn't ask for forgiveness. They have to, in their heart, forgive them so they can get on with their life. Is that a legitimate definition of the term forgiveness? And if it isn't, what do they need to do to get on with their lives?
0: What they need to do to get on with their life is to put the matter into the hands of the Lord. It is the Lord who can judge and the Lord who can forgive. And we forgive only when we know that God forgives in such a situation. And the Lord will forgive if there is true repentance. The problem is that with these people, they feel everything depends on what they do. I've got to get on with my life, therefore I've got to forgive. Who said that it depends on what you do? It depends on what God requires. Are you going to get on with your life if you sin? And it's sin if you condone sin. So that is a terrible argument. It's a, you're right, it's a common one. We've all heard it at one time or another. But all it does is to cloud the issue because if we begin with where we are and how we feel, then we're all wrong in any conclusion we make. And that is the popular approach now. You're not going to have any peace unless you forgive. Who said so? Where does God say there is no peace if you don't forgive someone who has sinned against you or someone else and has never repented? Never. Uh, That is blasphemous talk.
2: I think a lot of this is that people think that if somebody is sorry for what they did, then that's the equivalent of repentance. You can be sorry for a lot of the things you did, even though you know you fully intended to do it. You could be sorry, a child can be sorry for the consequences of what they did, or they're sorry they got caught, or they're sorry that um, because they got caught, serious consequences happened. So because of what happened to them, because of what they did, they're truly sorry. Bad things happened to them. They wished they had never done it, so they'd never been caught. But being sorry that you did something isn't the same as repentance because repentance is turning, in a religious sense, is turning away from sin and to righteousness. And a lot of people are sorry for what they've done, but a lot of times they're sorry for very selfish reasons. They're sorry because they got caught, they're going to spend time in jail, or it's messed up their family life, or for whatever reason it's caused them problems. Very often, people who who have problems are sorry for what caused that problem, and if it was their their actions that caused the problems, they're going to be sorry for that. That doesn't necessarily mean they're repentant. Um, People who deal a lot with um, wife abusers or uh, uh, men of that sort, they often repeat the same thing. He always says he's sorry. And every time he does it, he says he's sorry, and I really believe he's sorry. Well, he may recognize his guilt, and he feels bad about having the guilt, and he can be sorry because he has the guilt. There's a lot of things you can be sorry for. But unless you really stop what you're doing that's wrong, and until you really repent, turn away from sin, and turn towards righteousness, you're not really repentant.
3: It's interesting that the legal profession uses uh, a quasi-repentant attitude on... Uh, they actually coach their uh, uh, people that they're representing when they're charged with a serious crime uh, on a repentant demeanor when they go into court uh, as if the courts were able to uh, on the surface determine whether or not this person is truly repentant or not but it's interesting that they at least attempt to create the facade they will have the person dress well uh, perhaps uh, unrealistically according to the way that they normally dress, their hair will be neatly combed. Uh, If they have a beard, it'll be shaved off, sometimes to uh, make it more difficult for people to identify a defendant. Uh, But uh, their eyes are downcast and uh, they have to present a a repentant attitude before the judge as if the judge uh, was playing God. And uh, it's an interesting turn of events in our legal system. Uh, You know, when this country started, uh, there was some biblical premise to uh, justice in this country. But in the past hundred years or so, we've gone from a presumption of innocence to a presumption of guilt. It started with the IRS, and now it's become widespread among all public agencies. Any agency, public agency that you go up against you're, it's automatically assumed that you're guilty when you go before them. And it's it seems to have run parallel time-wise uh, with this uh, increase in uh, uh, unrepentant attitude on the part of uh, criminal defendants.
1: Well, some months ago I had to read this incredibly stupid book. It was a book written by a universalist Mennonite who wanted to... Um, who was opposed to the death penalty. And his justification for that is, because Jesus died for every man's sin, we are wrong to punish anyone with the death penalty. So it was just, it was one of those books that I read and just was pulling my hair out because it was so insane and so so maddening. And as a consequence, to balance that and... I read in institutes where Rush was talking about the death penalty and the and the penalty was based not on a repentant demeanor or any emotional thing it was if you committed the crime you 're going to s- suffer the punishment and in the um, this book that I read of course the one of the most heinous things you can do is to put to death someone who is not perfect i.e. they may have a mental illness or be mentally deficient or retarded or some some challenged in some way and that is the most inhumane and most wicked thing you can do even though that person goes out and kills 50 million people you still have to preserve his life and Rush's comments were just so brilliant pointing out that in the Bible even if an animal gore someone to death, that animal is to be put to death. And if a man knows he has an animal who harms other people or harms other animals, the man and the animal, am I correct, are to be put to death. And it just showed the beauty and the simplicity of what God's Word says as opposed to what we have to deal with today.
0: One of the things that the false doctrine of forgiveness does is to warps the whole of theology because instead of making forgiveness a theological matter, something that God ordains and God does according to his law word, it becomes instead something that you and I do. So uh, it leads to people trying to play God. If uh, it is up to them, then they are the ones who are going to do the judging as well as the forgiving. So they are ready to judge people far more than ever before. We've never had a more judgmental age. Everybody is critical of everyone because they also feel that they are playing God legitimately by saying, Repent and I'll forgive you. Or, listen to me. Straighten out your life according to my word and I will forgive you. In other words, they've replaced God with themselves. And that's a fearful thing. It's become very, very commonplace. A great deal of our trouble today is that people have become both extremely judgmental and extremely prone to meaningless forgiveness because it all hinges on man and man's word.
2: Whether they judge or they forgive, they usually predicated it with the words, I think. Yes. I think we should forgive. I think this is a terrible thing he's done. I think something should be done about this whether it's judgment or forgiveness it's it's always what they think
1: there's a lot of persecution in in the American church today probably in other uh, churches as well where if someone says they're sorry or something you are required by your by the church to forgive them and if you're not this person could have may have done something heinous but you are the responsibility falls back on the wronged person to have the forgiving forgiving spirit and i know many um, many friends who have taken the biblical stand and who have said um i'm certainly willing to forgive i would love to forgive i desire to forgive however this person has not repented and this person has not come close to even, not only have they not repented, but there's no restitution and they are looked at as though they are the most wicked people in the church and they are marked as an, un, as an unforgiving person. It's something that um, I'm sure many of our readers and listeners have to, have to live with on a daily basis.
3: One of the uh, terms that's always amused me, the contradiction in terms is something they call a victimless crime. Uh, today, (laughs) (laughs) when people want to dodge something to make up a word for it. (laughs) And um, uh, victimless crimes such as uh, uh, people taking uh, drugs or uh, giving drugs to others or the um, uh, prostitution and so forth they, they always have consequences they have consequences for the individual if God doesn't want us to commit suicide he also doesn't want us to, to uh, do things to poison ourselves or destroy our our bodies uh, it's, it's the same so there is no victimless crime as far as I'm concerned I, I, it doesn't make any logical sense
0: well if you have this kind of cheat uh, forgiveness forgiveness without any uh, repentance or restitution what you are doing is in effect subsidizing, subsidizing crime you'll have universal <coughs> crime that cannot be dealt with and today people don't know how to deal with crime how to deal with sin on any level they simply cannot cope with it And this is one reason why uh, children are going astray. Uh, There have been numerous stories in the uh, media this year about the school shootings. And everything has been blamed for it, except the fact we have stripped our schools of any biblical teaching and that in itself has made a difference there was a time when schools in the slum area where the bible was used uh one simple case of somebody's sweater or overshoes being uh, stolen was a scandal uh, for the whole school year because thou shalt not steal was drilled into everybody on all sides So, uh, we've forgotten, by the way, what the teaching of Bible in the schools in those days was. It was intended to govern them in terms of a biblical morality. It didn't try to teach them the nuances of any doctrine. Mm -hmm. It taught them biblical morality. And that did a lot of good. Whether the children were Christian or non-Christian, it gave them a standard. Well, that's gone, so now they cannot figure out, isn't that strange, why the students are ready to kill without any excuse?
3: Well, this is the, this is the X generation This is the chickens coming home to roost. Uh, they have been cut off from any uh, moral teaching whatsoever. There are kids going into court, 14, 15, 16 years old, that have committed multiple murders and they don't know what's wrong mm-hmm. until they get out in front of the judge and they're, they're shocked they're surprised they're like primitives uh y- you know the the so-called social scientists are amazed at this development uh but it's it's a natural uh, development uh because of lack of any moral teaching whatsoever they don't know what's wrong yes Stealing becomes a way of life. Killing becomes a way of life. It's a day-to-day uh, method of survival mm. for many kids in the in urban areas in the inner city, and uh, they don't give it a thought. Life means nothing.
1: And of course, they're taught that what they that they are basically good, and that whenever they have a desire, it's a good desire, and that their that their quote needs or desires should be met, and so they are mm. just little anarchists.
2: It's interesting that in today, often when you hear about this cheap forgiveness, it's coming from churches. It's coming from um, families of the victim. Yes. Thirty years ago, a lot of it was coming from um, Freudianism, and, or the idea that in the environment is to blame. Therefore, let's not blame anybody. It's not really their fault. Therefore, you know, it's it's. It's all of our fault. I mean, all of our faults. Uh, when uh, Bobby Kennedy was assassinated, I can remember some commentator on TV saying, "This is all of our faults." And um, now it's the people who should be standing up and saying, uh, demanding some kind of justice, that are saying are uh, very often mm-hmm. the ones who are, who are gushing that I forgive them. Um,
1: And often the ones who do want justice and who do say and who say that he took my child's life, he deserves to die, they're pictured and and caricatured as savage. Mm -hmm. They're the barbarians.
0: Well, we have a major crisis that has been building up for some years. In fact, it goes back to before the French Revolution and the sentimental ideas of forgiveness and of sin uh, took over in our culture and then began to infect everything from the top down. The result has been that not only public education, statist education, but religious education has been warped by this false idea of forgiveness, which means that you have no real concept of sin as something against God, and therefore only to be dealt with on God's terms. It is very important to note that when David committed adultery, he wrote in the psalm, to God against thee, thee only, have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight. Now, he knew that the sin involved also uh, a number of innocent people, a husband who was killed for it innocently, and a number of others, but... It was ultimately God's law and the person of God that he had sinned against. And that's the greatness of David. He saw the essence of sin as God directed. It's an assault against God. We've lost that totally now. We don't see God's involvement in it. And therefore, we've lost the meaning of the doctrine of the atonement. We no longer relate to the atonement to everyday life. Uh, Jesus died for me has come to mean less and less to the average person. He does not see it as involving his status as a sinner against God's law, as one who sets aside God's law. And therefore, he sees sin as something someone else does. I didn't commit adultery. I didn't do this. I'm not a sinner. It's somebody else. And therefore, the atonement does not mean what it does in the scripture to them, that they have been changed from sinners sentenced to death to sinners saved by grace, who must continue their lives, therefore, by living in grace. So theology has been warped by the failure to appreciate the relationship of forgiveness and the atonement. We have some beautiful hymns that deal with the cross and the atonement and the blood of Christ, but they're mostly older hymns. There really hasn't been a good one written on the atonement, in this century, because we've drifted so far from the meaning of it, and that has been deadly. Theology in the pulpit has become abstract. It has ceased to be related to the everyday life of the believer because it has lost its perspective on God's law word. When we understand the meaning of forgiveness, then we can again understand the meaning of the cross in the true sense of the word. And this is why it is so important for us to get back to sound teaching here. This is why in the series of lectures that will be given beginning later this year by myself and Andrew Sandlin and Brian uh, Abshire with Mark presiding, we're going to begin with the doctrine of the infallibility of Scripture and then go next to the doctrine of the Atonement. Because these have become abstracted from everyday life in uh, seminaries and are not properly taught anymore, and therefore they have no relationship to the everyday world and the kind of problems we've been discussing uh, at this time and will again in the subsequent hour. But uh, a humanistic forgiveness does not change men It does not change society. A humanistic forgiveness leaves the sinner a sinner still. The criminal is still a killer. No change has been effected except to warp and destroy the doctrine of what it means to be righteous, to be holy. So, we face a grim, grim world, a world that has truly warped uh, the most basic question of life, how to deal with evil. And I'm grateful to Susan Lofel for giving us another opportunity to deal with this because we should deal with it every few years because many of you are new listeners and the subject is endless in its potentialities.
1: Rush, I noticed a statement that she has here, and I'd like for you to to comment on it, <clears throat> because there seems to be a real antithesis. Now, we know that most of, the, many, most of the people in America claim to be Christians, but as Mark has pointed out, a lot of this forgiveness uh, mentality, this pseudo-forgiveness mentality, is coming from the churches. And uh, Susan's statement is... Um, talking about Carla Faye Tucker, this is at a time when there seems to be a national consensus in favor of the death penalty. How can the majority of Americans want the death penalty, believe that the death penalty is necessary, and and that be coexisting with this false forgiveness that we see?
3: It's uh, a widespread human behavioral instinct. It's called the herd mentality. It takes enormous courage enormous courage for people to stand up to the continual 24 hour a day uh, year in and year out onslaught from the media that uh, snicker at even at the word using the word sin the the concept of sin uh, it's uh, ridiculed and it it's difficult for people to stand up to you know uh, to that kind of continual onslaught. And this herd mentality drives them away from uh, realizing that, uh, you know, people that call themselves Christians, that there is a law that has to be complied with here. And it's very difficult. And people have got to find the courage to be able to say, no, this is wrong. Because God says it's it's wrong. Uh, but it's very difficult. And churches can be swayed. Uh, various uh, religious groups can be swayed uh, because they're driven in that direction it's very difficult to be continually ostracized and uh, be, an, in essence an outcast in society and at the same time hang on to your beliefs mm-hmm. a lot of people just hanging on by their fingernails mm-hmm. and it, you know somehow they uh they need to find courage, they need to find the inspiration to get back to what the law says
1: but one of the one of the key points of uh that is used uh to promote the forgiveness mentality is Jesus himself, who, as he hung on the cross, said, "Father, forgive them, they know not what they do and so when you're when you're sitting there wanting wanting biblical what we would call biblical forgiveness it's sort of hard to get around that, you know.
0: Well, what is happening is that the Church is departing steadily from the faith even when it professes to believe it because it will not revise its stand and say, to what extent have we allowed humanism to alter our doctrine? Now, consider the fact that uh, in this past year In one country, uh, uh, the major church, perhaps, has condemned Christian Reconstruction and threatened, really, any of the clergy who have anything to do with it. Having condemned it, they appointed a committee to uh, study the subject to find out what it was all about. (laughs) 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 Well, Susan, you... With your long experience in church politics, I've seen instances where bad theology has led to bad decisions in the church. And this is only increasing. Uh, It's really appalling how ignorant the church is and how willful it is in its neglect of Scripture. I know that a few years back, maybe ten years ago, Dorothy ticked off one churchman who said that their denomination had decided to study the subject of homosexuality and issue a report on it. And she said, well it won't be any good because they already have a report in their hands, the Bible. Now uh He was startled by her statement. But the point is, what happened there is happening across the country and around the world. They really don't know what they're supposed to believe, and they're lazy about doing anything about it. If you're against biblical law, as most people are, which is a new development in the history of Christendom, it means you've dropped a sizable chunk of the Old Testament, not only the law but also the prophets, and a vast amount of the New Testament. Well, what is it that you believe then? If you believe in Jesus, he's the one who said he came not to set aside the law and the prophets, but to put what they had to say in force. Now, there's no way you can get around those verses in Matthew 5. And yet, they ignore them. Somehow, what Jesus said had to mean exactly the reverse of what he said.
3: Well, Susan's point, uh, the conflict between what people say they they want as far as the death penalty uh, and so forth, it's... uh, uh, it's interesting that uh, it's difficult to know what people really think, you know, that's why polls, polls are never accurate, because people mm-hmm. lie to pollsters, you know, it's either got to be the instinct of self-preservation if we get rid of all the murders, then we'll be safe uh, on one level on another level uh, perhaps they intuitively realize that this is God's law, and the law has to be has to be complied with. Uh, it's hard to know where people get the justification for that that mm-hmm. uh, obvious conflict.
1: Restitution is a word that is is not well known today. That you have the that you know, God requires restitution for evil, and that the restitution for a capital offense, as defined, as defined by God's law, is the taking of life, and also the concept that we are to remove evil from the land. It's God's land. It's not our land. It's His land. He is a holy God. He cannot have it, He cannot stand evil living in it, and as and we are to be um, as good stewards to remove evil from the land as well.
3: Well, uh, judges used to hand down routinely, routinely uh, restitution requirements in order for a person to satisfy their, their sentence for a crime. Now, if you, for instance, if you suffer some grievous property damage or uh, medical bills as a result of uh, an injury that you have sustained at the hands of someone else, uh, in a violent crime or whatever, uh, you have to petition the court for restitution. You have to beg them <laughs> to be reimbursed mm-hmm. and a lot of judges don't want to fool with it. So that's now why you have these victim assistance programs mm-hmm. in California uh, where the state is in effect, providing the restitution, they absolutely will not hold the individual who committed the crime responsible for it. Won't do it. They will make the taxpayers provide the restitution rather than the criminal, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is doesn't do yeah, like
1: duh. <laughs> yeah, doesn't do anybody any good. The whole point is that the, of course, is that the criminal in pain has, you know, honors God's law and he is lifted back to his right to his place in society without without stigma and uh, being attached to him.
0: The word restitution does appear in the Bible, of course, but it also sums up a great deal of the Bible and what the Bible teaches, and uh, people are not aware of that. One of the aspects of this confusion of uh, forgiveness with the sentimental desire to forget about something and go beyond it, get on with your life. Uh, One of the aspects of that, as I indicated, is that it warps our view of the whole life. It warps our view of the Bible, It warps our view of law. But ironically, the concept is too basic to life. It's a God-given thing. God has so made us that in all our being, we want to see godly restitution. And when we don't have it, we have all kinds of... uh, Well, uh, false methods of making restitution. We want restitution made wholesale, uh, historically, uh, to rectify the past. We uh, have different groups claiming that the whole history has to be rewritten now, uh, all the southern uh, descendants of slave owners punished, all people in any country who have, uh, uh, whose ancestors did any ill to another group to be punished, which may be true if they're perpetuating it, but not if they are not. And uh, the result is, uh, as one writer, in dealing with the... Uh, problems in Kosovo commented in half a sentence in passing was that, would the problems there ever be settled? With all the long record of wrongs done by one group against the other, and all the horrors perpetrated, how would it ever be settled? Which is a good question. Is there no escape from the past? Well, of course the belief in a necessity for a full settlement in history is what has made Hinduism the horrifying religion it does. You have to make atonement for all the sins you've committed in your life and all you committed in the previous reincarnation before you can escape from life and no longer be reincarnated. And it makes it a radically hopeless religion because atonement is purely personal and it has to be total and so it becomes endless. Well, God says you cannot do it. Start there. You cannot make atonement for your sins or anybody else's sins. I alone, in the person of my Son, can make atonement. And you're going to have to believe in Him and what He has come to do in His atonement and seek His forgiveness and grace and live in terms of His Word. And, of course, The world insists that that's nonsense and it's going to go on trying to rectify a really hopeless situation mark were you going to say something
2: well you were saying that uh, that people can't make atonement they can't uh, if they can't make atonement then they also can't um, establish the terms of forgiveness because that's exactly what they're doing when they when they say I forgive they're saying I'm going to be more lenient than God mm-hmm. and you you said it's purely humanistic and that's exactly what they're doing it says I'm going to determine what const- on what terms forgiveness can be granted and I'm going to be more lenient than God and I can be more holier than God is the term you've used and uh... You're not a very uh, loving or caring or holy person unless you come to my standard of holiness and also forgive this person. So it, it's, it, it creates a completely man centered religion. I happened to be flipping through channels that night. Like there was something on television getting kids together talking about uh, something about churches and AIDS. I didn't dwell on it very long. But. The gist of it is, whenever the subject of what the Bible says comes up, it's always, well, the Bible's just a lot of historical writings, and you can make it mean anything you want. Therefore, it's irrelevant. You may believe it, but that's only your belief. And that's what the Bible is always brought down to. It's if you want to believe that, that's fine. Sometimes in public schools, when they bring in, um, uh, You'll sometimes hear people say, oh, our public school is great. They let the kids talk about their religious beliefs. But the way they let them talk about their religious beliefs is that's great, and if that works for you, then that's good. But this may not work for so-and-so over here. What do you believe about this? What do you think about this? All ideas are equal, and the idea is to synthesize some ideas and come to an understanding and just learn to live with people with, with people of, of different opinions, but the Bible is brought down to just one opinion amongst many, therefore it's not authoritative. So if I want to forgive or I want to believe this or I don't want to believe this, it's up to me.
3: This is a classic disinformation technique. If you want to brainwash somebody, you first have to disorient them. And uh, what kids are being told is part of the secular humanist disinformation program. Uh, you have to disconnect them from the beliefs of their parents if they got any, and I frankly doubt that parents really have very many beliefs. If they go to church, it's a social club, and that's about the that's about the end of it. They don't go there to get any bad news. <laughs> they, they don't want to hear about any laws or or anything uh, that they have to comply with. But uh, uh, that's the reason a lot of kids. And I know many of them. I have friends of mine who are trying to deal, this, deal with this issue with 14 and 15-year-old uh, kids, and the kids are questioning. They've come to the age of reason where they, they know they're being lied to, but they don't know what the truth is because nobody's telling them the truth. Everybody is trying to confuse them. Uh, the parents don't have anything to offer them, nine times out of ten. The school, which is the authority figure, uh, the government, the media, every, everybody that, that ought to have something to say to them uh, is confusing them and disorienting them. And that's the reason a lot of kids commit suicide, it gets to get to the point that our, our culture is driving them nuts.
1: It is a hopeless culture, it's a dead culture.
3: Well, maybe we, I, I hate to trivialize it, but perhaps it's time for us to come up with a 12-step program to achieve repentance with the first step in the 12-step program being making restitution. Uh, You know, if they've forgotten how to do it in the legal system and they've forgotten how to do it in the popular culture, perhaps, you know, we need to write something up and hang (laughs) it out.
1: I disagree with you about that, (laughs) only because of what my pastor said one time, he said, uh, in talking about child rearing, he says, you know, whenever your kids are going at each other. Your your natural tendency is to pull the kids apart and say go to the person the one who has wronged the other and say, You you apologize or you ask forgiveness of your sibling. And he says, You know, I realized finally how wrong that was that what we need to do first is and what he does with his children is you have sinned against God. Mm-hmm. You go to your room, you make it right with God, and after you've made it right with God, you come out here and then and it, then at that point, he deals with the sibling. So that would be, your step one would be my step two. <laughs> based on based on his mm-hmm. wisdom. I think that's, and of sure. course that goes along with what Rush mm-hmm. was saying but earlier. You're right, that
2: does very often begin very young. Say you're sorry. And if you just say the words you're, sorry, you're sorry, then it's okay mm-hmm. and no punishment because you said the words. So a lot of people just think saying the words is what mm-hmm. forgiveness is all about.
3: Well, the... the uh, the social scientists uh, are, are all uh, confused and overwhelmed by the high recidivism rate of criminals in the criminal justice system. They've, we, I remember, 20, 30 years ago, the big buzzword was uh, uh, they had to change, change criminals in within the penal system, and uh, uh, they it, it didn't they didn't accomplish anything. They spent millions and millions of dollars on consultants uh, coming in to try to uh, achieve this uh, change in uh, criminal behavior, and it didn't change. It got worse. They just absolutely refused to acknowledge that there's a better way. They will fight it right to the death. I'm Mm -hmm. absolutely convinced they will fight it to the death.
0: Well, one of the things that uh, I think is interesting here is that the word forgive is not used as commonly as it once was, and yet the notion that we do need forgiveness, even in these warped humanistic interpretations, continues to surface every time there's a crisis, as with these shootings. Everybody starts talking about forgiveness. And uh, none of them give any thought to the idea that forgiveness without repentance is meaningless. It's merely the abuse of words. We've become so hypocritical At that point, we resent it if we're in things more personal, someone says, I love you, without meaning it. But we can say, uh, uh, forgive me, and uh, it's supposed to mean everything if we say it. Well, the Bible does not call merely for the use of words, but for action, that if we want forgiveness, we take certain steps, restitution. Uh, As I pointed out, I believe, I have so often on other occasions, Dr. Skilder, one of the great theologians of the century, pointed out that when you trace the history of the word forgive as it appears in the Bible, Its original meaning was, charges dropped because satisfaction has been rendered. Something has been done to make restitution. Then the charges are dropped. It's a legal matter. It's something that takes place in the court of Almighty God. And we can forgive when we see that God's requirements are met we have no right to withhold forgiveness or to grant it apart from God's Word. And therefore, it is not a personal matter, it is a theological matter. Well, thank you all for listening, and God bless you. We are grateful to you, Susan Lowell, because you do, from time to time, give us some very fine questions. We have some excellent questions in hand, from Richard Lewis and from uh, Ron Cassell and others, but we hope we can get those uh, uh, taken care of on another occasion. We cannot answer any and all questions. Some of them we can't uh, give an hour to. Others we may not know enough to answer, but we'll do our best and we'll get to your question if we can. Until then, thank you for listening and God bless you all.